Pastor Xavier Reese on the importance of remembering the faithfulness of God. Jacob clearly understood God had visited him. Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put his head on, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. This was to mark the place where God had visited him. There will be many places in your life that you make sure you build those memorials and you point them to your children. And when you get bummed out, you look back on God's faithfulness and you get your eyes back on Him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Proverbs wisely says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Well, today, Pastor Xavier shows us what happens when we forget that simple truth from God's Word. So right now, let's join him in the book of Genesis as we learn from the life of Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, we're going to look at the entire chapter, verse 1 through 22. And the message is entitled, You Can Run But You Can't Hide. Jacob has gone along with his mother Rebekah's plan to deceive his father Isaac, pretending to be his brother Esau. He has obtained the birthright and the blessing, but it has cost him more than he knows. For starters, he must flee to uh, his home in fear of his life, as Esau declared that he would kill him as soon as his father died. The flight of Jacob to Haram from the wrath of his brother Esau is revealed to us here in these three scenes. First, the sending of Jacob to Haran by Isaac in verse 1 through 5. Secondly, the retaliation of Esau towards Isaac for sending Jacob to Haran in verse 6 through 9. And then thirdly, the visitation of Jacob by God on his way to Haran in verse 10 through 22. Jacob set out from Beersheba towards Haran in verse 10. He had deceived his brother twice. He had been told by his mother that Esau was going to kill him as soon as his father died. This guy is booging. He is, as he's running, he's looking back. He had a guilty heart. He had been told by his mother to go to his uncle's house for a few days. And without doubt, under great anxiety and fear of the future, he set up camp for the night in verse 11. The location is named for us, by the way, in verse 19. It is called Bethel. The reason given is that the sun had set. The night was dark. The night was very quiet. You've been there camping all alone, not a big campground, and it's quiet and it's dark, and all of a sudden, all these thoughts start coming into his head as he's laying there. Everything that's happened, Everything is taking place. And you can hear his regret in his thoughts. How could I deceive my father like that, making him think that I was Esau? What was I thinking? Esau's an animal. Oh, man, have I blown it. You've been there in those nights where six hours becomes 24 a day becomes a week, a week becomes a month. He took one of the limestones, verse 11 of that place, and he put it at his head and laid down to sleep. Um, now, rocks are not very comfortable for pillows. I don't know who can do that, but um, Jacob was a real hard head. Um, others believe that a better understanding of this passage is that he placed them around his head 
for protection of the elements, and that may be so. We're not sure. Notice Jacob then fell asleep, and he had a dream in verse 12 through 15. In verse 12, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. He saw the angel of the Lord, angel of God, ascending and descending on it, or the angels, not the angel of the Lord, but the angels of God. And angels, as you know, are God's servants, his messengers. They are ministering spirits to the earth of salvation, Hebrews 1.14. And though we're not told that God was directing and guiding him as he did the servant of Abraham, God had promised to be with him through Abraham, and he will see the confirmation here. So even though we're not, we're not told that, we know that God was in control, yet never violating the will of Jacob. Notice in verse 13 and 14 that Jacob was spoken to by God then. God stood above the ladder, identified himself to Jacob, God identifies himself as Yahweh, the covenant God, and said, I am Yahweh, Elohim of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The covenant God, Yahweh, confirming the possession of the land. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Yahweh then confirms the multiplication of his seed. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And then Yahweh confirmed the blessing of all the earth through the Messiah, through his line. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Back to the promise of Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. Identical. And then he was given four specific promises by God in verse 15. God promised his presence. Listen well. Behold, I am with you, Yahweh, the covenant God. Secondly, God promises protection and will keep you wherever you go. El Shaddai, the Almighty God. Then thirdly, God promises personal return and I will bring you back to this land. He's not a man that he shall lie nor the son of man shall repent. Has he not said it? Will he not perform it? Numbers 23, 19. Yes. And then fourthly, God promised to fulfill his word spoken to Jacob. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You and I as Christians must lay hold on the word of God. Our mind and our heart be stayed on him when the difficult times come. The storms will come. You and I have to make sure that our house is built on the rock. Many homes are built on the sand today. The purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church, sand. Preach that gospel in Ethiopia, Sudan. Let's see how it goes. God would allow Jacob to reap what he had sown and discipline him. The principle of Galatians 6, 8. You sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap everlasting life in the spirit. There's no exception. Notice verse 16 and 17. Jacob responded to the dream. He recognized the presence of God. Jacob awoke from his sleep. He said, surely the Lord Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. We're so ignorant at times when God is so present, attempting to minister to us or ministering to us, and we 
ignore it completely or think worse that it's our thoughts or whatever it may be because we're so caught up with what we are doing or what we're into. How interesting that the Tower of Babel, man attempted to reach heaven through religion and failed in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. But in Jacob's dream, it is God who accomplishes it by coming down to earth and revealing himself to man by a personal relationship. That's how man gets in contact with God. God reaches him. Verse 17, he was gripped with godly fear and he was afraid. Jacob said, how awesome is this place. And the word awesome means dreadful, reverential, causing one to be astonished. It is the same word for Jacob being afraid, except the syntax and the context makes a different meaning a little bit. This is none other than the house of God, he says, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob clearly understood God had visited him. Jacob knew heaven and earth had become one. And so he calls the place the house of God and the gate of heaven. Hmm. There are times when God deals with us and we know it. God speaks to us and we know it. And what a difference it makes. In the New Testament, when Philip called Nathaniel and told him that they had found the Messiah in John 1, 45 through 51. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said, behold, an Israel in whom there is no deceit or guile. Nathanael said, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Listen, most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Nathaniel was probably reading this very passage. The picture of God bridging the gap between man by the Messiah. Hebrews 12, 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Jesus is that mediator. He's the one that brings man to God. Jesus, no one else. In verse 18 and 19, Jacob memorializes the location then. Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put his head on, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. This was a mark to mark the place where God had visited him. The practice of memorializing places is found throughout the scriptures. One of the important ones is in Joshua 4, when they crossed the Jordan, flood season, and he took 12 stones from the middle and put them there. So when their kids grew up, and they said, Mom, what are these pile of stones? They said, this is where God brought us into the land. In flood season, he parted the Jordan. There will be many places in your life that you make sure you build those memorials and you point them to your children. And when you get bummed out, you look back on God's faithfulness and you get your eyes back on him. In verse 19, Jacob gave the location a name. He called it Bethel, which means the house of God. Remember that Bethel, the house of God, becomes an important location Abraham pitched his tent east of Bethel after God appeared to him, promising him the land in Genesis 12, 7. 
That was the first theophany of the Bible. Bethel became the key figure throughout the history of Israel. Bethel was a place where God confirmed the land to Abraham after he separated from Lot in Genesis 13, 3, 14 through 18. God will appear to Jacob and uh, he will call himself the God of Bethel and give him a strange plan to multiply his sheep before he leaves 20 years later in Genesis 31, 3. After Dinah's defilement, God appeared to Jacob and told him to return to Bethel. He was not dwelling in the house of God as he said he was going to any God himself and his family in trouble. It was a place where he had appeared to him when he fled from the face of Esau and built an altar to him. He reminded him of that. Bethel, very key place. Notice Jacob made a vow then to God in verse 20 through 22. This guy was quite a guy. He was a real work of art. Now, the vow is different from an oath. A vow is conditional, contingent on whatever is stated as having to take place to fulfill it. An oath is absolute with no conditions. There is no going back on it when you make an oath. The vow consists of five parts. Mark them well. First, the presence of God. Listen, if God will be with me, <laughs> this guy has a lot of nerve, doesn't he? He's the guilty one. He's, he's the one that's in trouble. <laughs> the protection of God comes next. And keep me in this way that I am going, the provisions of God then, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, the peaceful return to his home is then stated. So that I come back to my father's house in peace. That's the condition of the vow. Then the fulfillment of the vow comes. The celebration of his relationship. Then the Lord Yahweh shall be my God. Lucky God. <laughs> the commemoration of the place then comes. And this stone which I have set as the pillar shall be God's house. And then the consecration of part of all he possessed. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Whoa, God is blessed. The man has nothing. And he promised if God provides for him, he'll give him one out of ten. Wow, generous guy, impressive. Jacob is responding to God's initiation. God always initiates in my life. Whenever I think I'm initiating, I've got it wrong. <laughs> President Woodrow Wilson once was in a barber shop when a man came in next to him in the chair and sat down. And every word the man uttered showed a personal and vital interest in the man who was servicing him, the barber. And before he got through, President Wilson remembered that he had attended an evangelical service and that the person sitting next to him was moody. Mr. Wilson said, quote, I purposely lingered in the room after he left and noted the singular effect his visit had upon the barmers in the shop. They did not know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. 
Such will always be the case when God visits us and speaks to us if we will listen. Always. It can be in the car. It can be at work. It can be when I purposely seek God. It could be when I am going through the worst time in my life. When we are guilty of wrongdoing, we do not have peace in our heart. You know that. We may try to justify our actions and what we have done in turn, but we know that we are wrong. We may even recount the event from our perspective, and that's always slanted, omitting truth and presenting the other person in worse light and certainly putting ourselves in a better light. We might even focus our attention on accusing the other person or persons by pointing out certain sins that we know about, horrible sins. This way, people can say, yeah, I agree with you. But it's wrong. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. There are many Christians who are running like Jacob. They run from church to church. They're living their own lives. They make a mess of it. And they've got to live in secret in the next church or lie. One of the two. Because they can't tell the truth. God will always come to us to turn us so that he might continue to work on our behalf. He can speak to us in a dream, a vision, according to Joel in the latter days. Now, I've never had a dream or a vision, but I'm getting up in years, so I'm open. and see what happens. Um, but God certainly speaks to us most clearly through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for correction, instruction, rebuke, and righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says that God at different times spoke in different manners and times passed to the Father by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his dear son. Through this word is where God will speak to me. Very, very clearly. That's why I am to meditate. I am to study. I am to think on these things. I am to go to it daily. I am to build my life on the word. Not my emotions. Not my cleverness. Certainly not my carnality. He seeks an acknowledgement of our sins. He seeks a confession of our sins. He seeks the abandonment of our sins. And he seeks restitution for our sins whenever possible. Now, sometimes it's not possible. And to try to would be to make a bigger mess of things. So you have to use wisdom. He calls this repentance, a change of mind with a change of heart, making a complete turnaround, seeing that sin was against God, then against people. That's biblical repentance. Not much is said about that today in the church. Everybody wants to talk about the love of God, but they leave the wrath out. Listen, love without wrath is a one-headed coin on both sides. Try to cash it. No, I must have heads and, and tails. 
for it to be a true coin. 2 Corinthians 7, 9-10 gives us a distinction between regret of consequences from a regret that we sinned against God. Listen. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I never regret that I turned my life to God and turned from sin. But the regret of the world hates the consequences. You've been messing around. You got pregnant. You're crying. You're bummed. But not because you saw it as sin against God and sin against your own body, because, but only because now your life is interrupted with this little child. And now you're even thinking of taking the next step, which is worse, eliminating the child and abortion so you can move on with your life of promiscuity and immorality. Oh, how we add to our hurt. Our response should always be the fear of God and memorialize such times. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1.9 says. The church has lost the fear of God today, people. It is hard to tell the church from the world. This is what will keep me and you in line constantly and repenting. The fear of God. In our loneliest, desert experience, God is there to deal with us and to comfort us and encourage us if we repent, if we allow him to work. You remember when Jacob was presented to Pharaoh, we'll get that later on in Genesis 47, 9. He looked at him and he says, how old are you? He says, few and evil have been the days of my life. Whoa. A hundred and some years old. Few and evil. Listen, life is not a bed of roses. Life has many disappointments, tragedies, difficulties. Few and evil. And that's why we are to present our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And not be fashioned to this world system, but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of our mind to prove what is that good and perfect will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's the bottom conclusion after you understand the grace of God. When you understand what he's done for you and how much he wants to use you and bless you. The visitation of Jacob by God on his way to Haran was an encouragement, an encouraging confirmation. Man, the flight of Jacob to Haran from the wrath of his brother Esau has been revealed by these three scenes. The sending of Jacob to Haran by Isaac was in view of his protection. The retaliation of Esau towards Isaac for sending Jacob to Haran was more vindictiveness rather than vindication. He wanted revenge. And the visitation of Jacob by God on his way to Haran was an encouraging confirmation. That's the type of God we serve. 
There's so much He wants to do. But it's really up to us, right? Bottom line. You can run, but you can't hide. You really can't. Pastor Xavier Reese with a good reminder about the incredible faithfulness of God in spite of our own disobedience. And you can pick up a copy of today's Bible study appropriately titled, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, as a reminder, this will also include what we heard the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Where is God when things get tough? Find out when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Bible study teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 